Well, um, today we're going to talk about our core values. Um, we've been covering it for a while, um, but the core value we're covering today is we value or we value relational and emotional maturity characterized by love. So Thomas called me, I mean, texted me the other day and says, "Oh, which one are you doing?" And I decided, "Oh, you know, I'll take on this one." And then. As I read through it, I'm thinking, I looked at the key word, which is maturity. <laughs> maturity, is that me? Um, me and Michelle have this running joke. Um, and we always wonder, you know, we're 43 now, and we always wonder, why, why didn't we have kids? Like, what is it? Like, what, did God not think that we were mature enough, responsible? So Michelle always goes, maybe we didn't have kids because... I'm not mature enough. I said, maybe, but I think she's mature. Okay, don't tell her. Um, I think she's really mature. But So I said, maybe it's because we're too mature. We don't need kids to make us mature. So it's always been this running joke, like, oh, you know, if we, whenever we're doing something, like I'm playing a game on my iPhone, and I'm like, Uh, and she's like, we got to go. And I'm like, honey, I got to collect all my coins. And she goes, like, that's why we don't have kids. You know? <laughs> But that's just, you know, something that we always wonder about. So today we are talking about maturity. Um, and if I were to entitle this sermon, it would be called, Who Invited That Donkey? So as I'm preaching you to, the, to you this morning, I want you to know that I'm coming to you as a person that I have not yet arrived. I am on this journey with you. Um, I am still trying to live out my faith by day to day, and God is still working on me. In fact, I am far from being where I want to be, or where I should be. Now, just wanted to share with you a brief story. Over the summer, something happened to me that deeply wounded my soul and my spirit. I had a friend who I trusted in, and I was betrayed by him at the workplace. And over the past months, I've been trying to deal with this situation. It's something that I feel like most people feel like, get over it already, move on. But it's been just really difficult for me to do that. And I, at times, I feel anger. I feel rage. I feel hatred. I feel bitterness. And there's unforgiveness. You know, I, I feel like the way I handled the situation, I, did, I feel like I did things right. But the outcome of it is there's still pain. You know, there's still hurt. And there's, I still feel a sense of injustice. And I think during this time, God has pointed out to me that, look, Danny, there's so much room for you to grow. And sometimes I feel like I've arrived, I, 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 I'm good where I'm at. But through this whole thing, God pointed out, look, Danny, you can grow in this area. And I found out that maybe I don't love as much as I should or as much as I could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for just this opportunity, Lord, to share and to speak, Lord, for you to your people. Lord, I pray that you would 
use me as a vessel, Lord, that you would use me as best as you can, however you can, to help and minister to the lives that, of the people that you deeply care about, that you're deeply concerned about, that you're deeply moved for. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit comes along, Lord, and we ask that you would um, just be present with everyone here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the Bible starts off with this beautiful imagery in Genesis. It's about God who comes to the garden, creates a garden, and puts us there. And he creates man and women in his image. We are what the theologians call imago Dei, created in God's image. And we were created to be a reflection of him. We are created with the capacity to love and to care and to be created just like God. But then sin entered into this world and that distorted this form of imago Dei within us. We have now become a broken image of God's of God because of sin. We are broken and fallen and scarred people. We have now the capacity to lie, to cheat, to deceive, to kill, to destroy, to sin. We are people who are deeply wounded and who are scarred and who are broken. But the good news is this, that through the life of Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can now be restored. We can be healed. And Jesus revealed to us that we, as a people, have a capacity to love and to share and to be generous and to to speak truth and to embrace one another and to affirm one another, to have hope for the best for one another. Jesus Christ heals and restores. Now, I have this friend. Um, The other day we were at the, I told you I love basketball. So we were at the park, me and my friends, and we were just sitting on the side. And um, so as we're sitting on the side, our friend Leighton came over to us and he's like, hey, Danny, uh, not just Danny, but hey, God, did you hear what happened to our, our friend? His name is Sean. Like, did you have, hear what happened to Sean? We're like, no, we didn't hear anything. Nobody told us anything. Like, what happened? And he's like, hey, Sean, on Sunday, we were playing in a league game, and he had this massive heart attack. We're like, what? He's only 40. He just turned 40. How, how could he have a massive heart attack? And he's like, yeah, he, he, he checked himself out of the game, he sat on the bench, and luckily we were playing a group of firemen. And they looked over and said, hey, your friend doesn't look good. You need to call 911 right now. So they made the call. Ambulance came. Oh. They cut open his jersey just to check up on him. And he was in the hospital for three days, from Sunday to Wednesday. And we were like, oh, my gosh, how, how could that happen? Like, he, he plays sports. He's active. And we were just dumbfounded by the whole thing. But the thing about Sean is he, he's this quirky character. You know, he, 
he's hard on himself. Every time he misses a shot, he drops F-bombs. Like, loud, like the neighbors can hear all the way on the other side of the hill. He's, he's that kind of person. So when they found out that they called the ambulance, he's like, why'd you guys call the ambulance? You know how expensive that is? And then he found out that they cut his jersey open. He was like, that's my only jersey. What am I going to do now? How am I going to play in the league? And we're like, dude, we're just so happy you're alive. How many of us have heart problems and we might not even know about it? In Matthew 15, verse 17 through 20, it reads as this. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer? And this is Jesus talking to Peter, explaining a parable. Then he goes on to say, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the, the what? The heart. The what? The heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the what comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But, what, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. So I'll give you some characters. And you might know them, you might not know them. Okay? Some are fictional, some are um, real. <laughs> okay? People like Pablo Escobar, Loki, Darth Vader, Cersei Lannister, Adolf Hitler. See, some people in this world have some dark and stony hearts. These are the bullies, the oppressors, the, the human traffickers. These are people who deliberately cultivate suffering, injustice, and hate. These are people who take advantage and prey on those who are weak. People we might look at them and we're like, oh my gosh, they're so evil. They're sick. They're so disturbed. We might look at these people and say, thank God I'm not like that. Yet I feel like we need to be very aware that we have the capacity to do such atrocities if we're not careful. You know, people react on a fit of rage and end up killing people. How does that happen? I can't comprehend that. But it happens. Yet there are people who have hearts of another kind. I would say majority of the people pretty much lie here. These hearts have been deeply injured. They may have experienced injustice and are wounded and scarred. Possibly, possibly you and certainly many others are among those who know these personal experiences and what it means to have suffered the consequence of another person's actions. That's what sin does. How many of you have been raised in an alcoholic family? How many of you have been physically abused or sexually abused? Have you ever been abandoned or betrayed? Have you ever felt minimized? I bet all of us at some point has made to feel like this emoji right here. <laughs> See, this is why I don't have kids. 
whether we know it or not, these wounds and these scars probably affect you every single day. And you might not be able to see it, but it stops you from functioning, let alone love to the fullest extent that you could. See, because of these horrible and hurtful experiences, we guard our hearts, we build boundaries, we build walls. We become the bully because it's better to be the bully and hurt someone than to be bullied and hurt by someone. Our hearts is easily overwhelmed and then we tend to self-protect and we can become so absorbed with our own lives rather than to care about the lives of those around us. See, living this way may be fine if your heart only mattered to you. If you lived in a bubble, that's fine. But it turns out that it doesn't. God has an immense interest in your heart. And not only does God have this interest in your heart, but your heart matters to your neighbors. It matters to your friends, your family members, your co-workers, everyone that comes into contact with you. Your heart matters to them. Our heart's been made by God to love, to love God and to love our neighbor. And I've learned through this whole experience that I, as a person, have a hard time loving and serving and standing up for justice even where I am. I felt like sometimes I'm there. But as I look further into my heart, I know I haven't arrived. See, the Bible says in John 10.10 that a thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus states, "I I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is into the restoration business. See, the Christian life isn't about these do's or don'ts, although sometimes we make it that way. It's about living a life that makes us better, that makes others better, that makes our world better. Sin is about greed and self-interest, oppression, destruction. But Jesus came to give us life and to show us what living is all about. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was looking at the resources, and um, there was this book by Mark Laberton, who's the president of the- Fuller Theological Seminary, and he wrote this book called The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor. And then in that, in that book, he shares this story, which I want to share with you today. So he's sitting on the bed with his youngest child, reading the story about Jesus and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus comes in on a donkey, and he's It goes like this. When our youngest son Sam was four, I was reading him a children's book about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. As we finished reading, Sam gently stroked the cover of the book with the picture of Jesus on the donkey's back. Then putting his hand on his chest, he said to me, Daddy, Jesus is in my heart. 
And Mark said, Sam, I'm so glad you know that. He continued feeling his chest, rather confused. But, but where's the donkey? Mark replies, trust me, Sam, the donkey is in there too. The bass minus the bee is always at hand. You know, in the King James Version, they used to use the word bass minus the bee all the time, right? So let's, it, it has a perfect double meaning when we use the word donkey when it compares to how we act um, and what's in our heart. Sometimes we can be such a, ba- a donkey. See, we may not have Jesus in our heart or not. I mean, Jesus may be in our heart or not. But even if we do, we also have the donkey. The donkey is not cute. It's not just. And it's definitely not life-giving. We need to take defeating the donkey very seriously. And as I look at this imagery, it fits perfectly that within us, as we accept Christ, we have good and darkness in us. We have this paradox to do good or to do evil. And it's interesting that if we separate the two, we could have Jesus in our heart and not remember that we have the donkey and we make ourselves self-righteous and holy and better than we think we are. And if we think we just have the donkey, we can just do horrible things. But in our heart, we have Jesus on top of the donkey. Jesus is made king because he's sitting on top of the donkey. Without the donkey, Jesus is not king. So separating the two two makes us really incongruent, and it's really unhealthy for us. So we need to always remember that Jesus is sitting on, on top of the donkey. And that leads to a healthy spirituality. That leads to maturity. Knowing that we have the capacity to sin, but because of Jesus sitting on the donkey, because of God's grace, we are able to live out the life that Christ has called us to do. In John, 1 John chapter 1, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him. And proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Jesus and the donkey. See, to me, relational, emotional, and even spiritual maturity is about being able to love to sacrifice for others. 
Maturity is not about hiding our brokenness, but living in our brokenness, embracing the brokenness that is in our lives, because it is a part of who I am. We will never be ever fully healed of our brokenness here on earth. But we know that God extends his grace to the brokenness of our lives. Let Jesus tame the donkey, but acknowledge that there is a donkey in there. In 2008, it was a good year for us because it was the year that I graduated with Thomas and our friend Guy Higashi. So we walked in the spring, we received our diploma, and it was just a good time for us. But there was one more thing I needed to do to fulfill my requirements at Fuller. And for me, Fuller was such a transformational experience. Um, But I accepted an internship at Huntington Hospital. And um, it's a really prestigious hospital in Los Angeles. And I was even surprised I even got it, to tell you the truth. but this hospital has a trauma center. Okay, so I got the chaplaincy at Huntington Hospital, but there's a trauma center. And that means like, if something really bad in the area happens, they'll bring it to Huntington Hospital. Um, they even told us like, if the president's in town and something happens to him, they take him to that hospital. That's how prestigious that hospital was. And I was just shocked that, oh my gosh, I'm a part of this. Um, but I remember fully telling us that, you know, whatever issues you have, it's going to come out in ministry. So I went into there, a little afraid, not knowing what to do. What do you do to, you know, what do you say to people who are having health issues and who are dying? You know, what, how, how do you handle that? Take a lot of it home. So I remember one time, I mean, a couple weeks went by and, you know, I was coasting. I was like, okay, this isn't that bad, you know. So I went, visited people. But I remember one morning I showed up, and um, my supervisor came to me and says, Danny, I want you to go up to the critical, um, critical condition unit. There's this boy up there who was 17, and he attempted to commit suicide, and they don't know if, they, if he's going to make it. But the family's up there in the waiting room, and I want you to go up there and just you know, be there for them if they need you. So that day I had the beeper and, you know, if they called Cold Blue, I had to run to any emergency. That's the worst, my worst fear is to have that beeper and the thing go off. So I was carrying it, I went up to the room and just this experience alone was hard for me. I'm like, what do you say to somebody who's a, who might lose their kid? So I went up, I said, I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Danny, I'm the chaplain here at Huntington Hospital. Um, I just want you to know that if you need prayer or just to talk, I'm here for you. And they said, okay, yeah, thank you. We're good. So I, I went off on the side of the waiting room, and I was just sitting there. And I, I, as I sat there, I, you, know, you just witnessed the family, and their dad's broken, and he's crying. He's like, how could this have happened? And they're, they're you know, his friends come in and they're like, what happened? And they're like all broken, you know, they're crying and their hearts are pouring out. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm watching it, I'm, and I'm thinking, 
what do I say to this? I don't want to be here. This is so uncomfortable. What can I say to a family who's, who's going through this? What do I do? And I remember sitting there for a while, and they were, I was just observing the whole time, and I'm thinking, man, I want to get out of here. And my donkey was just acting up. Get out of here as soon as possible. So I sat there for a while, and then after I decided, okay, they don't really need me, so I left and went back to the office. And I saw my supervisor, and my supervisor was like, oh, how come you're here? And I'm like, oh, you know, things were going okay, so I decided to leave. And she was like, you should have stayed a little longer. Oh, yeah, I probably should have stayed a little longer. So I, I went off and did my rounds. And as I was doing it, the beeper went off. Cold blue. Trauma team, get together. So I had to run upstairs, and I saw the doctors working on him. And this is the first time I'd seen the kid lying on the gurney, tubes in his mouth. Team working on him. Everybody's frantic. And the family's going... Is stressed out. And they're thinking, we might lose our kid right now. And at some point, he finally stabilized. But the doctor came out and said, you know, your son, he lost too much oxygen. His brain is working at 25% capacity. So even if he survives, we don't know how he's going to function. I'm thinking, what am I supposed to say to that? What am I supposed to do as a child? What can I do to help a situation if they ask me, why did God do this? And all I can say is, I don't know. So they were really traumatized, crying, in a frantic. And I remember they looked at me and they're like, and I don't know what came over me, but I just said, you know, um, they asked me a question, and I, I was like, you know what? I'm here just to be a help for you, but I don't know much about John Doe. And I would really like to know about John Doe because it seems like everyone here has been impacted by his life. You guys wouldn't be here if... He wasn't special to you. So please just tell me about John. And you could see, they start, as they started telling these stories, they were like, you know, he was such an artist. He could draw anything. He was really musical. And, then, and each person would share friends, family, um, dad. And dad was like, you know, there was times where I sat down with him and would play video games with him. And they all started sharing their experiences of what this person had brought to their life. And I, at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what to say, but just be, being present there, God just took over. And you could feel the brokenness and the hearts of those lives start to lift and soften, and God worked through those people. See, the donkey in me 
wanted to run. And it took my supervisor saying, you should have stayed to make me address that donkey. And Jesus healed, I mean, in some way, got me to learn that, okay, this is the things that make me feel uncomfortable. I need healing in this area. And I remember going home that day, and I was talking with Michelle, and I said, this, this whole thing was so bad. I can't, like, my day is ruined. I can't function. So we went to In-N-Out Burger in Glendale, and I remember sitting there with my, my animal fries and my cheeseburger, and it didn't really matter what it tasted like. It didn't taste that good that day. And I looked out. You know, they have this glass window, and I looked out, and all I seen was kids, you know, telling jokes and walking along with their cell phones, and they're enjoying life. And I thought, what a strange world we live in. That on one end, someone's life is in the balance. He's about to step into eternity, and his family's about to just, their lives are about to be changed in a, in a moment. And then you can step out, and people are having the time of their lives. See, we need healing in our hearts. Sometimes we can just seek to fulfill our own selfish needs rather than to truly love and see the needs of others. But the, the thing is, God transforms our heart little by little at a pace that we are comfortable with, that we can handle. And the reason for that is so that we can love like Jesus, so that we can be present when people need somebody present. See, in the process of healing our wounds, we overcome the things that paralyze us. And if we can overcome the things that paralyze us, we can love better. And if we can love better, we bring life and joy to the lives that are, to the people around us. And this is so important because people's lives depend on it. Your heart matters to everyone. Let's pray.